and welcome to another episode of the Alcasimi Foundation podcast, a monthly podcast about research, education, and the arts in the UAE. I'm Ethan David Lee, and on this episode, I'm joined by last year's film grant winners Anna Kibavasa and Majd Alouche to talk about their film, Interdisciplinary Artcraft, and Collaboration. Thank you so much for having us. It's really great to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, we've been looking forward to doing this for the past month. Yeah, we'll be planning it a while. So, <laughs> so Anna, you're in the, in the UAE very, very briefly. Yeah, I'm only back for six weeks. I used to live here um, back in, I got here in 2019. I uh, was mm-hmm. working at AUS teaching in the multimedia um, section of CAD at um, the College of Architecture, Art and Design, where I met Majd. Uh-huh. And I was working there as a lab specialist where I was running the art facilities, like the lighting studio, the printmaking studio, and the darkroom. Mm-hmm. And that's where we met and made things happen. And we will talk much more about those things that were made. <laughs> um, but to kind of get our conversation going today, I, I wanted to first talk about y'all's short film, Terrain Ahead, which uh, was awarded the film grant for the 2021 Russell Fine Arts Festival. Um, so, to kind of start off, is in your synopsis you describe it as an experimental documentary. So, can you tell us a little bit more about this film? What is it about? What you're exploring it, and and how did you go about making it in this entire process? For sure. Thanks for asking. Um, first of all, it's a huge honor to be the recipients of the film grant, and. Uh, it is the film grant that made um, Terrain Ahead possible. Um, we had been uh, proposing the project to various institutions. We'd been brainstorming about it for some time. And um, we had done some preliminary research. And um, then we were lucky enough to receive the al Qasimi Foundation grant um, and also support from Warehouse 421. And, um, you know, to answer the experimental documentary question, um, well, there are two different traditions, right? And both traditions that have been around for the entire time cinema has been around, which is just over 120 years. And so it combines the traditional documentary elements with traditional experimental film elements, so from the tradition of the avant-garde, and melds them together. So we were experimenting with form and with material and structure, and as well as focusing on a topic and showcasing elements of the topic, mm-hmm. specifically coastlines in the United Arab Emirates and human impact. So the the kind of themes that you're looking at were uh, sort of urban development and uh, sort of how how that's affecting coastlines. Can you maybe expand a little bit more on on sort of the sort of themes and ideas that you were really kind of looking into in this film? So. I think it all really started with uh, us going on trips just to like go out in the ocean, swim and like explore the coastline of the UAE. So we went swimming in multiple places, Ras Khaimah, Fujairah, Ajman, Sharjah, even Dubai and sometimes Abu Dhabi. And we would notice that everything that is being built currently is being built on the shore, by the shore, close to the shore. And uh, we were really interested to document and see how that affects the the ocean and like what happens and how that changes and uh, I think that's that's the what inspired me to make this uh, movie happen with Anna mm. yeah same and we were also looking at the industrial 
um, results and the in industry in general, how humans are using the industry and how we are um, taking into account or not the um, marine life mm -hmm. and our runoff as well as our, our trash that we don't have uh, as much control over as we could or, you know, as maybe the marine life would like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, you, you would said earlier when you were talking about this being an experimental documentary that usually a documentary would include things like talking heads and, and, and this one doesn't. So can you, what kind of techniques did you use within the film to sort of explore these themes and, and, and show the, the, the st narrative that you were trying to tell? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Thanks for asking. Um, so traditionally, I mean, uh, most of the work that I make um, that I have made prior to Terrain Ahead and continue to make has been in two different worlds, right? Documentary films and experimental films. And inside of experimental work, um, generally what comes to it, not only in my own practice, but in the tradition of the avant-garde is experimentation with form and um, more of a fine arts, um, direction, right? So um, how the film is built is more abstract than the traditional documentary that one would see on National Geographic. Mm -hmm. And so we were also exploring playing with both 16 millimeter film as well as digital video um, and seeing if we can make a hybrid film. So it's not only hybrid in the experimental and documentary side, but it's also hybrid in the 16 millimeter film, physical material component and digital video, which is, you know, ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. And um, we both had experience working with film in photography and in moving image and working with video and digital photography as well. Um, and so we were interested in uh, approaching the subject matter above and below the water using these different methodologies and structuring the film around mm -hmm. the experience rather than comprehension, right? So like right. traditionally the word narrative um, guides us into a question of comprehending something. Um, whereas in experimental cinema, and you know, I would argue in all good cinema, <laughs> um, it is not about understanding. It is about experiencing and being moved. How did this kind of come to be? Uh, how did you kind of come across this concept, both in terms of uh, form and and theme? Form and theme. So uh, when I met Anna and I saw her work, she talks. Uh, these are the kind of topics that she tackles, and uh, she's also experienced with working with like uh, photography, chemistry, uh, developers, and all of that. And I was also interested in that. I used to process film back in school, thirty-five mm -hmm. millimeter, mm -hmm. and uh, she's doing sixteen. She she's done sixteen for a long time, and uh, I think if I'm gonna talk about the sixteen millimeter aspect of this film, I think we also become a part of the movie because sometimes we would like shoot on film, bring it back to the dark room and sometimes process it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of new to that field, especially like processing 16. I knew the fundamentals of it, but not the, the technical details behind it. And having Anna next to me teaching me how to do these things properly and giving me details and feedback was a big part of the, the film. 
and uh, yeah, that's what I think of the 16 millimeter aspect of it. I think it was a a good learning point for me, especially considering the fact that I'm new to this uh, right. field. So this film was really for you as as much of a making and and learning yeah. as it's kind of all in one. The 16 component. component. I mean, you you taught me 35 processing. I taught you 16 <laughs> processing. It was really we had a lot of fun in the dark room, <laughs> and you know I I love what you said about. Um, we became part of the film and yeah coming back to the dark room and processing the same day and having results and being able to project on a 60 millimeter film projector mm -hmm. the same day yeah because <laughs> yeah it's it's about the experience i think also like as i said becoming a part of this movie and making it happen and especially like the shooting of it and then not knowing how it's going to look like going back to the studio processing the film and then running it through the projector to see what we got mm -hmm. sometimes it would be Sometimes it's difficult because we would get the exposure wrong. We would have to go back to the same location, reshoot, reprocess. Right. So that was also an interesting component of this uh, film. Yeah. yeah. And this isn't the only collaboration that you've done together. No, it's not. We also worked on another project called Semaphores. And it's, you know, multiple media involved in that project. We shot 35 still photography, so on film as well, digital photography. Mm -hmm. Uh, did copper etchings, did screen printing. And a bit of sculpture, too. A bit of sculpture. Mm -hmm. So we kind of, like, uh, worked with almost majority of the mediums <laughs> that exist in this world. And we shot a 16-millimeter uh, loop video for that as well. Yeah. Kay. So... So what was the what was the spark for these films? Like what 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 got it all going? You said you, you were interested in each other's mediums and, and themes, but like, as a that's a huge jump from talking about it to, to doing it. <laughs> um, I guess maybe it's that we are these types of people, right? We met and we were we became fast friends, mm -hmm. and obviously we got along as people. And then we were like, "What do you make? What do you make?" And then we found so much crossover between our two worlds, right? Mm -hmm. our, our practices overlapped so well, and we both wanted to learn from each other. I'd done a little bit of printmaking prior, and uh, Mesh had done some photography prior, and we were like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And then when we got excited by each other's processes, we then learned about each other's concepts and what we'd been working with and right. then said, oh, it'd be cool to collaborate. Yeah, it'd be cool to collaborate. And then pretty soon after that, I mean, also COVID happened, right? Oh, yeah. And after we had had ideas for what to collaborate on, um, everything lockdown. kind of like went low for a bit until we're like, okay, we need to build a dark room in my house since I have like an empty room we decided to purchase some uh, basic materials and mm -hmm. kind of make the dark move the dark room from AUS to my house and I think that was also like very inspiring it pushed us to make work yeah and uh, get inspired also obviously mm. yeah so you're both very multidisciplinary artists and then it becomes even more multidisciplinary when the two of you working together so what what kind of mediums do each of you working um and how do you see the intersection and conversation between those disciplines helping and developing and projecting your work so uh to me i think uh printmaking and uh 16 millimeter film and 35 millimeter photography are very similar in terms of like uh first thing is 
not knowing the results until the very end, until you like work on the film or a piece of like copper plate. So you'd be working on it for like multiple months and like doing tests, looking at it, does it work, go back to it, work again, and then it would finally work. That's one aspect of it. The second one is the chemistry side of uh, the work, mm -hmm. the mediums. So for 16 millimeter and 35, use a lot of chemistry to process the film. And same as uh, printmaking, if let's say I'm doing a screen printing, there's like the photo emulsion, there's like chemistry mixing, right. and like same as copper etching, there are multiple like uh, chemicals that you mm -hmm. need to work with in order to reach the final result. Right. And you have a background and an interest in chemistry from a quite a young age, right? Yeah, I was, I've always been interested in chemistry since I was in high school. Got straight A's <laughs> for three years. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't come from a chemical background at all. I actually come from a painting and drawing background and somehow managed to, you know, find my way into cinema and I'm obsessed with the dark room and I'm constantly, you know, exploring new recipes. And yeah, it's really, it's a huge gift to have found Mejdalouche and to have become friends and be able to explore things together. Likewise, yeah. And you're, well, how did you get into film then? What's the kind of the story and the background into, into coming to that medium? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, um, I was mostly working in painting and drawing, and then I got into sculpture and installation. I was also curating exhibitions. And then in 2007, I went to the Middle East for the first time, and I, when I was in Cairo, I found out that there was a unification project happening um, where all of the muadhineen, those who call people to pray, were being replaced by a single voice broadcast from a radio station, mm -hmm. a unification project. And I thought that project was going to be a multimedia installation. And about a couple years in, it turned out to be a feature documentary film. And um, that story is long and beautiful, but not for today. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of got into cinema working on Cairo in One Breath and started shooting. We got funding and started shooting in 2009 and completed it in 2015. And now it's available on Vimeo On Demand and Alchemia and through CFMDC. And the film is Cairo in One Breath. And that was a traditional documentary that I made. Mm -hmm. And as I kept working in the moving image, and it was clear that I was attached to the moving image, but I wasn't sure I wanted to work on another feature doc. Um, and I kept working on the moving image and I was in grad school at Duke University. And I started seeing work from the tradition of the avant-garde and I thought, oh my God, these films are like my paintings. I want to, I want to, I want to, I, I want to. And I asked the person who became my mentor, David Gatton, if I could make movies the way that I paint. And he, of course, said yes, please. And that's how, that's how we ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we got here with Terrain Ahead and, you know, we, we first screened it as a, as a rough cut at the at the festival uh, last year and it's since gone on to have a, a complete full full edit and onto other other festivals where so where has this film what's the journey of this film since since the previous festival yeah it was really exciting to have screened it here at Rakfaf 
And then a few months later, we um, continued editing, obviously, and we found that we needed a little bit more funding for post-production mm -hmm. and for distribution. And so as we were applying for funding, we learned we needed fiscal sponsorship, which allows us to have 501c3 status in order to receive grants. And so we received fiscal sponsorship from Full Spectrum Features, NFP, and then uh, supplementary funding from Lucius and Ava Eastman Fund. And then we completed the film over the summer Mm -hmm. And um, we sent edits. By that point, I was back in the States, mm -hmm. unfortunately, uh, away from Majuda. And mm -hmm. we were uh, sending cuts back and forth to each other and um, having discussions on the phone and on Zoom. And we finished the film and submitted it to a lot of different festivals and continue to submit. Mm -hmm. And it premiered at Imagine Science Film Festival in New York and then screened subsequently at Antimatter Media Art in Victoria, British Columbia. And last night we submitted it to Sheffield Dockfest. Right. So onwards and upwards and, yeah. and still going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of talked about it a bit there with uh, you know sending clips back and forth and you know before when you were shooting and then in the darkroom. Yeah, filmmaking is a very collaborative art form. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about yours collaboration and, and how you guys work together. Well, filmmaking can be a collaborative art form. It doesn't always have to be, mm -hmm. right? Most of, while Cairo in One Breath, the feature doc that I worked on was a collaborative project. There were, I got, you know, a team of people involved. And um, most of the rest of the work that I make, um, the short documentaries and the short experimental films, they are mostly made by myself. Um, I've collaborated with one other person, and that is Reese Morgan on a project in Bermuda, mm -hmm. um, dealing with marine conservation as well, and the Anthropocene. And, um, and then, you know, there were other films that were made in between that were solitary. So finding somebody that I can collaborate with happily and equally is, for me personally, as, especially as I come from a fine arts background where I work on my own, um, it's very rare. And so mm -hmm. I've been very lucky. And Majd also works on his own, right? N normally. Yeah, so I, when I was uh, doing my BFA, I, we took a course that was literally just one course where we had to work with other students with three more, so a total of four, to make an art piece, and I just really hated my life back then, because <laughs> it was very chaotic. Right. When I work, I like to be my own zone, my own table, do my own thing, finish, revisit, finish it up again. But uh, working with people was very difficult for me back then, mm -hmm. and uh, we had different uh, ideas, uh, different points of view on how like we could do things and so I really did not like it much but then with Anna it was uh, a bit different actually very different because me and her share the same interest when it comes to like form art and like mediums and that really made it very mm -hmm. easy for me to work with her and I'm hoping she feels the same. Yeah, yeah. clearly. <laughs> and uh, so a lot of nodding, nodding yeah. going on yeah. there. <laughs> to me, yeah, it was the first time I collabed with someone, mm -hmm. and it was a wonderful experience. Yeah. So 
collaboration is great, but really only if it's if it's clicking right for you. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. How that's the most important thing, I think. How do you, how do you know? How do you know when it's when when it's the right collaborative person? I think the first thing is being able to like get along with the person. Mm-hmm. We're talking about personality and like lifestyle and being able to live with that person for more than half a day. <laughs> That's the most important thing. And Sa- then, yeah, and then uh, we move on to work and start small and work on small things together. So to us, it was like she was teaching me a bit on like 16 millimeter. I was mm-hmm. teaching her about printmaking. And that went very well. It was very smooth. And fun. And yeah. We were laughing again, a lot in the dark room. Fun is also important, <laughs> having fun with them, creating things. And uh, that's when we're like, yeah, we could do this together. We could mm-hmm. totally do this together and not uh, kill each other or scream at each other. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think it was really great. I mean, that's why we were talking before we started recording, and you asked if we're collaborating anything new, and we were like, we're brainstorming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very successful, and we did two projects, so clearly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more, more to come. Yeah, yeah. And th- something I really like what you said earlier about you know you were learning from each other about mm. with six, sixteen and thirty-five millimeters, but you know what else did you learn while making this film about maybe about the topic or about how to develop certain films in certain ways? Yeah. We, I mean, I think we learned a lot. And I think we can both cover different things on this. I think as far as technical things, you know, um, having processed film for a long time in the United States and having to process here, the tap water is very different than distilled water, whereas it's not necessarily the case everywhere in where I'm used to processing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we learned a lot about uh, different temperatures that I was used to being meaning something different here um, and actually in different areas. So like processing with the Mulquane was different than processing in Charja. Yeah. Oh, really? Um, that and mm-hmm. quite close together. The water really. is yeah. different. different, yeah. Um, And so we learned a lot about the materials and techniques, and we developed our own uh, recipes because we needed to. Mm -hmm. And that also led to new discoveries, Um, Mm. not only discoveries about the material, but discoveries about the topic, since our topic was water, right? And then, of course, while shooting underwater, I had shot underwater with 16 prior, but never shot digital underwater. You'd never shot digital underwater. No, never. That was the first time. Yeah. And uh, so for me, it was mainly about being comfortable with the Bolex. Mm -hmm. She gifted me a camera and I was very afraid and scared to use it. And (laughs) I kind of needed a push. So I'd be like asking her questions remotely. How do I do this? What's this button for? And uh, I learned a lot and I started feeling more comfortable using Bolex. So then I started shooting on my own. But with the supervision of Anna. And uh, shooting underwater for me, yes, it was the first time and it was a bit difficult because we had this like giant uh, <laughs> underwater cover for the Sony that we've used. And uh, the handling of it was different mm. because it would keep on like floating and it would take us up. <laughs> we actually want to go down and shoot what's underneath. So that was a bit difficult and also getting the exposure and the... Uh, the lens also affects we need to like you know change the lens depends on the weather and what we can see what we cannot see so we also learned a lot of things when it comes to shooting underwater 
Yeah, and motion and all of that. Mm -hmm. And when you say, I gifted you a camera, you gifted me a camera too. You gifted me a 35. Yes, yeah. that's correct. That's <laughs> 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 the collaboration angle. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we learned a lot from each other. I mean, and I think the environment taught us a lot. We discovered so many things that we didn't know we would discover while shooting. Yeah, also the recording underwater was interesting for me. I've never, like, I never knew that you could record underwater with a hydrophone. And uh, when I saw her pulling it out, I was like, wow, I need to use that. And then uh, a year later, I bought my own, and I use it now sometimes. Mm. Well, I was going to ask, like, what, what have you kind of taken from this project into your other projects and what you're working on now? Oh, you go your first. newest project is so exciting. I'll oh, the... Yeah, so I, for my uh, uni work, I did a project called Sadiaton 16. Mm -hmm. And I was really interested in uh, capturing silence because that's something that's slowly fading away. We can't really sit in silence for more than five minutes because we can't find it. Everywhere we go, we would hear like cars, beeps, machinery, uh, white noise. Construction. On set, yeah. But yeah, yeah, exactly that too. Constantly, whenever I'm sitting, I'm just like hearing it. And I was really interested to go out and like find these places. So I'd go out really early mm -hmm. morning and uh, just record sound without a hydrophone first. And uh, what I got from it is that I really couldn't find much silence. Like maybe I would sit in silence for 45 seconds and that's like max. So I collected footage in different uh, areas in Sadiat. It was basically a 35 radius from NYU Abu Dhabi. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Which we should say you're doing the, the first MFA. Yes, so it's my first uh, semester doing an MFA in Abu Dhabi. It's mm -hmm. been great. I'm very thankful for that. So after recording everything, I went back to the studio and I started listening to what I got. And it was very interesting, but the whole point was to find silence. And the stuff that I recorded, I couldn't really make much of it. So I decided to switch the direction a bit and see how this sounds like if I use a software that could like kind of twist it and make it a raw data instead of a sound or an mm -hmm. mp3 file. So I did that and then I imported this raw file onto Photoshop and Photoshop basically gave me like uh, sound patterns and uh, I really wanted to work with 16 millimeter especially the fact that the projector that I have could take sound and could like translate mm -hmm. sound. So I used uh, I used 16 millimeter clear leader and uh, I started sticking it on paper and running it through the printer, laser printer, to print these uh, images that I got translating the sound and uh, then running it through the projector to see how that like sound actually sounds like through a projector and it was very noisy and you would get different tones and sometimes it would be completely silent mm -hmm. and sometimes it would be completely loud because so you get to see the image and hear the sound at the same time so when I printed the film on laser printer there is a small section of the film where you could put sound on it in a lab but for me, I disregarded that, and I kind of like blended both the image and the sound. Uh, what is it called, the section? Soundtrack. Soundtrack. And uh, I was really curious to see how that would sound like 
and it sounded beautiful and ugly at the same time. Yeah. yeah, and so I, I'm very lucky that I'm in the UAE at this current moment, and the reason I'm here is because of the uh, exhibition, the Sharjah Islamic Arts Festival at the Sharjah Art Museum, and uh, a show that both Majd and I are in. That's another way to talk about what's next. <laughs> and But since I'm here now, after Majd's first semester at NYU, I got to see this particular piece, Sadia mm. on 16. Uh, since it's not digitized <coughs> yet and it's only on 16, um, I got to see it be projected. And it's amazing getting to hear what I see exactly. is It's a, it's a beautiful piece. So you, you've both talked about some kind of projects there. Well, what else... Uh, you know, if we want to see your work right now, um, you know, Anna, you said Carrying One Breath is available on Vimeo, but w- what other exhibitions have you, do you have? Where can, where can we see your work? So, uh, I'm doing an exhibition right now. It's open until Feb, on end of Feb. And uh, I've exhibited some of the older works that I have. The gallery is called Aisha Labar Gallery. And uh, I've I'm exhibiting two pieces. One of them, we spoke about it briefly before we started, Untitled Landmarks, mm-hmm. which has something to do with like the before and after and documenting this. It was inspired by the Arab Spring and how that affected the geographic areas in different cities, as well as a project. Uh, the title of the project is uh, Configuring and... Uh, I did this, I collaborated with uh, two PhD students mm-hmm. from, uh, they're studying in Venice and they run a space called Sumac Space and it was like, uh, it was at the start of lockdown and moving into like online so they did an online exhibition for that. Uh, they were really supportive and inspiring. So the outcome of it was an online exhibition and for me to show them in the gallery was new to me. I I I couldn't see these pieces. So it consists of 228 small tiny cubes and uh, the way I exhibited them online was set of 6. Mm-hmm. But uh, for that one I just ended up laying them almost all of them out. So that's one. The second is uh Sharjah Art Museum where we're both yep exhibiting our work. I did a piece called uh, Threshold, which uh, translates the sound into vibration. And for that, I had to build a mechanical shaker and plug in sound. So the mechanical shaker vibrates when you plug in sound. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's inspired by an old uh, method called the Cladney plates. It's a really famous uh, scientist. He invented that and he was kind of trying to do the same where he sprinkled some sand on a flat piece of metal and mm-hmm. he ran vibration through it by using like a vinyl uh, stick right. and like all these like different uh, patterns started happening. To me, I was interested, like I wanted to kind of capture that pattern that happens. So instead I've used a copper plate and instead of the sand, I've used a fair chloride solution that allows me to etch the plate so when the plate vibrates, the ferric chloride kind of hits the surface of the plate and kind of like makes like these uh, etchings. And then I would print the plate and see how it sounds mm-hmm. like. And the recordings that I picked was uh, 
uh, four different surahs from the Quran. I picked the first, the longest one, which is for two hours and seven minutes. So the plate was kind of like being etched for two mm-hmm. hours and seven minutes through the vibration. And then the two mitsuras, which is Muhammad and Naba. And the last one is Al-Kawthar, which is around 30 seconds. And the other two, around 4 and 14 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I was trying to capture how that would look like. So okay. basically visualizing sound. And that's at the Islamic Arts Festival yes. in Sharjah. Yeah. And the piece that I have in that festival is the Order of Revelation. And again, another project that's related um, Again, proof how Majd's practice and my practice are (laughs) very (laughs) intertwined. Um, So I've been working on the Order of Revelation since 2015. Um, I started it as part of my thesis project uh, when I was in my MFA at Duke. And it's a project that translates the Quran from Arabic to visual. Um, And I'm using 16 millimeter film and where I created uh, an alphabet that is correlatory but not representative. And I'm rephotographing um, each uh, quote unquote, there's hand quotes right now, um, each letter um, to combine the letters and make words and then make verses and then make surahs. And so far I have translated or transliterated um, 30 surahs and Mm -hmm. I'm doing it in the order in which it was revealed rather than the order in which it was canonized. And as part of the Sharjah Islamic Arts Festival, I'm exhibiting uh, on a film loop on 16 millimeter. Um, By the way, the film is black and white, and it is shot on um, Kodak 3378, which is a sound recording film stock. It is traditionally used to record sound, but I am using it to film images. And the relationship there, the reason I bring it up, is because, well... It is the recitation of the Quran through visual, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm also using tajweed, so the rules of the recitation of the Quran um, are incorporated, as well as simple arithmetic logic, different for each surah that gets translated. And so at the Sharjah Islamic Arts Festival, the surat al-Najm is on loop on a 16 millimeter film projector with a looper, as well as a light box that mm-hmm shows strips of 16 millimeter film from that project that spell out Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim eight different times from eight different surahs. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and what's upcoming? What can we expect to see in, in the future? So currently I'm working on a project. I'm still starting it. It's like maybe 1% done. So very, very early stages. Very, it's a, it's a baby still. So I could talk a bit about that. It's called uh, the sky is blue, and mm-hmm. uh, living in the UAE, majority like all year long, almost we see the color of the sky as white and sometimes gray because it's super hot. So mm. the the air is filled with like uh, mist and water, humidity. So we can't really see the actual color of the sky. But then when winter comes, sometimes it's like completely blue and like super blue. And uh, for me to see this for the first time, I'm like, not for the first time, but like sometimes once a year, maybe I'll be like, wow, I really want to like keep that and like try and capture it. So I've never worked with cyanotype before. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, I'm like, 
Okay, I could get different shades of blue using cyanotype and that also depends on the exposure, the time of exposure and the time of the day. So I thought to myself, I would like to make a small booklet that that kind of covers that idea. So for me, I wanted to take 24 different exposures and each exposure will be dedicated for one mm -hmm. hour a day. So I'll take one, let's say, for example, I would take one at 6 a.m. And then I would take an exposure at 7 a.m. And then 8, 9, so a full day, 24 exposures. And that kind of like allows me to capture, because I would be exposing the paper in the, in the open. And the only thing that will like process, uh, expose the cyanotype paper is the, the sky and how bright it is. Right. And uh, so far I've been running tests in different times to see how the colors change. So it's still kind of mm -hmm. a work in process. And are you led more by sort of experimentation with mediums or, or with concepts and, and, and ideas? I think mediums mm -hmm. more than concepts and ideas. I, I think ideas come naturally because like, so this idea came when I was sitting in a, in a, in a Starbucks outside having a coffee. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is really beautiful. I need to like capture that. So they just sort of like out of nowhere just come up and I would like write it on my phone. So I have a lot of ideas written down, but... Uh, need some time for execution yeah yeah like fermentation it's the yeah. same for me normally you know uh, projects come out of uh, the material that I'm messing around with right. at the moment and then and then I have an idea and I think that's another mm -hmm. way that we were able to find yeah. a way to each other and to collaborating um, and to answer the question of what's next um, there's a film that um, has been fermenting for quite some time. <laughs> um, I've been collecting <coughs> objects from the coastlines and from inside of the water um, here in the UAE, um, and as well as you know elsewhere in, in North Carolina since I've been back there. Um, and I've been keeping the objects separate: UAE objects, North Carolina objects, and. Um, because I don't know w what the film will really transform into, but the idea is, and some of them are man-made objects, some of them are natural objects, and so like human refuse, like plastic, microplastics as well, um, and I, I found a dinosaur on the Ooh, wow. yeah, on the shore, and I also found a frog <laughs> recently, but of plastic, both of them are plastic. You're, you're so <laughs> don't get any ideas. <laughs> you're so excited by the a plastic dinosaur. I, so exciting! It's not just a plastic bag or like <laughs> microplastics. I found a plastic dinosaur, um, and you know it connects to the prehistoric times and connects to the unfortunate current Anthropocene moment. Um, and also, obviously, seashells and coral mm -hmm. and bits of sand as mm -hmm. well. And so the idea for this project, which I've done some preliminary tests for, um, is to photograph, do single framing um, of each individual object in black and white. And then for the first section, each object, 200, 300 objects, um, one frame of each, uh, very close up, potentially macro, and then, depending on the object, and then the next section is the same exact object, mm -hmm. um, two frames, the next section is three frames, and so on, and it grows. And then at some point in the film, when it's time for, uh, by the way, sorry, each section will be the exact same length. Right. So it won't be, once it's two frames per object, we have to do 
half the amount of objects, right, to have the same length of a mm-hmm. section, and so on. And eventually, when it's just one frame of one object, when the math guides us there, at that point, color will seep in. And this will be a silent experimental film. And this particular project is obviously related to both the order of revelation, where I'm single framing to translate the Quran, and also Terrain Ahead, and No Garden Beyond, the Bermuda Project, where mm-hmm. I'm concerned with the uh, marine conservation issues. Yeah. So this will be yeah. interesting. One project leads into another, as you kind of, mm-hmm. they all really inform each other. Always. Yeah, and I think as we kind of move to, to wrap up, because of course we really want to keep track of all these exciting projects, do you have a, a website or a social media that we can kind of follow you on? Yes, so my website is majdalush.net, M-A-J-D-A-L-L-O-U-S-H.net. And my Instagram is the same, majdalush, with an underscore at the end. Yeah, and I don't have Instagram, although <laughs> there been, are people. I've been her to get one <laughs> because I think it's very important. Exactly. There are people that are pushing me into that direction, which we'll see. Maybe it'll happen. But if mm-hmm. I do get an Instagram, it'll just be my name. Um, but I do have a website. It's just com, And I could spell that out, but we could also just put it at the bottom. On the uh, it will be in the description of our podcast. There we go. Fantastic. Um, and on that note, that's it. That's all we've got time for on this episode. Anna, Marj, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for making it happen. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been a true pleasure. If you'd like to hear more about the Foundation's film grants or about the Rasselheim Fine Arts Festival, you can visit our websites, www.alkasmifoundation.com and www.rackfinearts.ae. And if you'd like to get in touch about what you've heard on the podcast today, you can email me at ethan at alcasmifoundation.rack.ae or follow us on social media at alcasmifoundation and at rackfinance. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next month. Goodbye.